Testing, testing. Well, good morning, Calvary Grace. I'd like to get started here. As we're continuing on in our discipleship class. So this is class six, encouraging careful Bible study. And there are uh, handouts this morning. If you haven't grabbed one, I'd encourage you to do so. They're in the foyer. Let me uh, open in a word of prayer and we can get started. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you once again for another Lord's Day. Father, we look forward to these days where we can gather together as believers and worship you, our living triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Father, we praise you for the access that we have uh, to you through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ and even by the power of your Holy Spirit. So Father, we pray once again that you would come, come and attend us by your Spirit, even as we consider this topic of a careful Bible study, look into your words, even memorizing scripture. Open up your word to us. Help us to behold uh, wondrous things from your word, uh, even this morning, and just re, uh, even remind us or, or um, convict us for the first time, perhaps, just of the power and sufficiency of your very word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can see, indeed, our topic this morning is encouraging careful Bible study. So just by way of a bit of a review, over the past few weeks, uh, we've been talking about the topic of, of discipleship. So first class, we asked the question, what is discipling? And the definition offered there was this, that it is deliberately and intentionally relating to another Christian with the aim of doing them good spiritually. That was the definition offered in the first class. Second class, we asked uh, the question, why engage in discipling? And we concluded that it is for uh, others' good. I would say it's even for your own good. It's for your own joy, and it's for God's glory. In class three, we discussed uh, various bar- barriers and excuses for discipling. And as we shone the light of God's word on those excuses, I, I think a lot of them were probably sort of dismantled. Uh, Class four, we considered the object and goal of our discipling relationships and concluded that the grand object of this wonderful work is to encourage our friends to grow in holiness, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to grow in holiness as evidenced by greater obedience to God's revealed will. Last week, we asked the questions, uh, what venue is best for establishing meaningful discipleship relationships, and how do we get started? And the conclusion we landed on was essentially that the the local church is the best venue. It's even God's design for um, what should probably be the majority of your discipleship and discipling. So today, so that's sort of the first five classes. In class six going forward, we sort of switch gears, and we're moving sort of into a how-to um, segment of this class. How to, how, practically speaking, what are the nuts and bolts of discipleship? Maybe, you're, maybe you haven't been in, in, in sort of a formal discipleship relationship before. You're wondering how, how you get started. What do you do? And I ab- am I able to do it? So we're switching gears here. 
into the how-to of discipleship. And, and of course, this morning, we're looking specifically at encouraging careful Bible study. Encouraging careful Bible study. Um, so you might be wondering at this point, well, isn't discipleship primarily just sort of r- relational? Isn't it just about building relationships? What does that have to do with Bible study? Um, isn't discipling about relationships? Well, the answer to that question is yes and no. And there's an important, important point here I want to make. As we begin this, this sort of next segment of this class, this, sort of this practical hands-on how-to portion of the class, I just want to remind us all that the root and foundation of all of our discipleship is the Word of God. It's got to be the Word of God. In other words, the root of your discipleship and mine is not your good advice. It's not ultimately your um, good counsel in and of itself. You're not merely uh, simply there to be a passive sort of listener and counselor. Um, So as we discussed last week, our work in discipling has a goal in mind. It's it's increased uh, conformity to Christ. And how, how do we go about moving towards that? We want to see our friends grow active, actively, progressively, and consistently in their discipleship into the image of Christ. So the means for that, the means for that growth, and the measure of that growth comes from the Word of God. It's got to. And this is important because our, our encouragement ought to be in the Word of God, not in our own abilities, not in our own smarts, not in our own ingenuity. So we can see right off the hop then, just the centrality of the discipline of the Word of God. You can see that in your hand out there. Um, so what this means then is the focus of all of our work in encouragement, prayer, teaching, counseling, you just go down the list, must be on the Bible if we are to be in the business of making disciples of Christ. This honors God and glorifies Him as the source for uh, the power to change, as it were, um, and the change in our lives that comes about, that makes us more like Christ. So our goal in discipling then is not, the, is not to be the source of counsel for our friends. In other words, you in and of yourself are not the foundation from which you rely upon to give your counsel. You and I are not the fountain of all wisdom and knowledge, uh, believe it or not. And, and this should be, again, encouraging to us. It's perhaps humbling, but it's, it should be encouraging. So again and again in this class, I've sort of come back to this, this illustration of, of as, as disciples, we are like a pipe or a conduit, right? So you're like a pipe pouring out um, the wisdom and knowledge of Christ from God's word to the person that you're discipling. Even um, through encouragement and application of God's word into the lives of our brothers and sisters. 
So in other words, you don't, another aspect, you don't need to feel like a professional counselor to be able to offer good biblical counselor, counsel to a brother or sister. That's not, what, that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, finally, we are spending our time at the very outset of this section focused on God's word because it is God's word that creates, sustains, and secures his people. So we're going to spend some time in this lesson, since we're talking about God's word, actually flipping from passage to passage and looking at specific passages. So let's flip to Ezekiel 37. Just to be reminded of the power of God's word. Ezekiel 37, if I can find it here. take a long time if I take that long to find these passages. <coughs> Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. I'm going to read the whole thing here. Just consider this concerning God's word. This is a, a very good illustration. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus the Lord God said, Thus thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you. And cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost, and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord." So we can see here that the word of God creates the people of God, even even in very seemingly hopeless and lifeless contexts. It's the word of God that creates the people of God. You can see some other verses there as well. Flip with me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. 
Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16, the word of God sustains. Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your words. So the word of God sustains. Uh, Flip with me now to Revelation 19. Revelation 19, the word of God secures, and I would say even it's by the word of God, even the word of God come in the flesh, Jesus Christ, at his second coming that will judge the living and the dead. Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness, He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this, of course, is Jesus Christ, the Word of God made flesh, come in the flesh. Last verse, let's just flip to Romans uh, 4.17. Romans 4.17. This is an excellent little verse. And even these, these sort of different topics we've been looking at, the Word of God creates, sustains, and secures. Romans 4.17 sort of has each aspect here within this one verse. So speaking of the faith of Abraham, sort of jumping in here, Romans 4.17, as it is written, this is God speaking to Abraham, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. This, of course, is pointing to God's creative power in creation. In Genesis 1, God created ex nihilo, from nothing. And this, of course, is what God does when he saves sinners, like we just saw in Ezekiel 37. God calls into existence by his powerful word the things that do not exist. And you might be thinking at this point, okay, well, yeah, of of course, this all makes sense. Like, isn't this sort of obvious? I think most of us here at Calvary Grace, um, I would like to think, have a pretty high view of the Word of God, right? 
Pastor Clint and the other pastors here at this church are preaching expositional sermons Sunday in and Sunday out. We have uh, in-depth Bible studies for the men and women here. Gospel partners, as gospel partners, we hold to the inerrancy and the sufficiency of God's word. So I, I can almost feel maybe a little bit silly even emphasizing this this morning. Um, isn't it just sort of obvious just how important the scriptures are? Well, probably most of us here are convinced of that. But the reason I'm, I'm, one of the reasons I'm emphasizing uh, this topic this morning is because many in the church do not fear God's word and revere God's word. And, and even as Christians here at Calvary Grace, we can be growing in this. If we're going to effectively disciple people inside and outside of the church, we need to recognize that there's a very big problem in the modern evangelical church when it comes to God's word. Many people in evangelical churches will um, say, it's sort of almost paying a lip service to the importance and sufficiency of God's word, but in many churches there can be very um, little real meaningful focus on God's word. A lot of sermons are centered on self-help issues and various other things. So what happens then is Christians will come to value teaching, but not necessarily biblical teaching. Uh, just survey church websites. You're going to find still on, on many, many church websites, you're going to find the mission, the, the, the belief statements or something like that. Will, it'll say that, that they subscribe to uh, probably the inerrancy, maybe the infallibility, the sufficiency of God's word. But functionally, in the life of the church, that simply is not the case. Again, there's, they're, they're paying lip service to the Bible but the final authority is actually something else in many churches. Just listen to some stats. I found a poll uh, this week as I was prepping. It's an Angus Reid poll. It was Angus Reid and Cardus in Canada here. They did this poll in the summer of 2022. Uh, the data was published in, the, I think, December 2022. So this is, this is Canadian evangelicals. This isn't American, this isn't European. This is us, and this is very recently. 32% of Canadian evangelicals, based on this poll, said they, quote, hardly ever or never read their Bible. 32%. Uh, in answer to the question, how often do you engage with the Bible at church religious services? That's a nice... Uh, Awkward uh, way of questioning it, but um, how often do you engage with the Bible at church religious services? 37% answered either less than once a month or hardly ever or never. 37%. So again, th these are, this is Canadian evangelicals. I'm not talking about mainline Protestants, right? I'm not talking about the United Church of Canada. I'm not talking about Roman Catholics. This is Canadian evangelicals. So if 37% of churches hardly ever or never or less than once a month make reference to the word of God, if you do the math, that leaves 63% of Canadian evangelical churches are engaging with the Bible either less than once a month or hardly ever or never. 
So 63% at least once a month or hardly ever and ever. What that means then, or, or the question that that begs, of course, is among those 63% of the churches, what does that engagement with the Bible even look like? Right? It could be flipping open the Bible, but there's not meaningful um, reverence for the Word of God. The sermons very often are not based on the Word of God. It's a sermon that gets baptized with a verse, but the pastor has a different point. Perhaps the saddest stat on this poll was this one. And that's the question, the scriptures of all major world religions teach essentially the same thing. 35% of Canadian evangelicals either strongly agreed or moderately agreed. 35%. 25% moderately disagreed. 25% moderately disagreed. That's the nice Canadian way of disagreeing. But it's moderate, so it's like, oh, yeah, I'm not sure, maybe not. So what that left then is 40% who strongly disagreed with the statement that the scriptures of all major world religions teach essentially the same things. So what this poll demonstrates then is that not only is our culture biblically illiterate in Canada, we are, we are, we are now in a biblically illiterate culture in Canada, more than that, this poll demonstrates that many Canadian evangelicals are biblically illiterate. Many of us came from biblically illiterate churches. So again, you can have on your website, right? Oh yeah, know the word of God. It's sufficient, it's authoritative, it's inspired. But functionally, the church um, is resting on a different foundation for her life and doctrine. So you can see the importance then, I hope, as I'm emphasizing this, that the authority and sufficiency of the Word of God is foundational, even in our discipling relationships. Like I said, many of us are coming from biblically illiterate churches, and we want to, it, it's, it's fundamental that we, that we ground what we are doing in the sufficiency and the authority of God's Word. Let's flip through some other verses again, some other passages. Flip to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, many of you know this passage. Deuteronomy 6, 6 to 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the word of God then is to be applied to all of our lives. Uh, we read uh, Psalm 119, 9, 9 to 16 earlier. Flip back to Psalm 119 and let's look at 25 to 28. Psalm 119, 25 to 28. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. 
My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. So God's word strengthens us in difficult times. Look to Matthew 4, verse 4. Many of you know this passage. Jesus here is uh, actually citing Deuteronomy 8, verse 3 as he's being tempted by, by uh, Satan in the wilderness. Jesus answers um, these temptations. He said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Flip to Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Again, very familiar passage. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Second uh, Timothy three sixteen. Really important passage. Second Timothy three sixteen. The Apostle Paul Paul's reminder to <coughs> excuse me Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And last uh, one we'll look at, Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's just a bit of a survey, just of the importance of the word of God, the authority, sufficiency, veracity. (coughs) Excuse me. So from these passages, we can see very clearly what God thinks of his word. Can we make any excuses, therefore, to not revere God's word? Can we make excuses to stay out of God's word? Um, So again, I I hope that we're seeing, and again, I'm probably preaching the choir here in many ways, but these are good reminders. We should see the importance as disciples, to pass on this sense of importance of the Bible to our friends, to those we're discipling. It's the foundation for all of our discipleship and counsel. So we're going to think about two, two ways now to encourage uh, the study of God's Word for the rest of the class. So first we're going to talk about Bible study, and then I'm going to talk about Scripture memorization. So first, Bible study. So practically speaking, 
it's very easy um, to not read the Bible. It's very easy to not read the Bible. It's just to go about your day, jump straight into the busyness. Um, it can be a difficult thing, right? We can go through ruts where perhaps our Bible reading isn't the greatest. Don't be surprised if that's true of your friend that you're trying to disciple too. Um, so be very practical then. We want to be encouraging in our friends. We want to be encouraging them to regularly read the Bible. Um, and even before, we can encourage them to meditate on it. So that discipline needs to be in place there. Uh, sometimes people are going to be intimidated by reading the Bible. Not everyone is a reader. Just consider this stat, though. or It's, it's not a stat. It's just a fact um, I came across. You can actually read the entire Bible, obviously depending on your reading speed. If you listen to the audio Bible, you can listen to the whole Bible in 71 hours. 71 hours. So what that means then is um, it might seem like reading through the, the whole Bible in a year is an insurmountable task. If you do the math, it's actually not. If you're dedicating 15, 20 minutes a day, you'll read through the whole Bible in a year. 71 hours. I mean, many of you folks here are part of a book club where you're listening to books that are, that are 30, 40 hours, right? The Bible's 71 hours. You can do it. So it's more of a discipline um, than I would suggest. It's a, it's, a, it's a discipline of prioritizing the reading of God's word. Just a few resources to suggest. D.A. Carson has a really good book called For the Love of God. Um, in that book, he has a daily devotional and a Bible reading plan. You might consider just buying that book and going through it yourself. Maybe buying it for your friend that you're trying to disciple. Uh, D.A. Carson, For the Love of God. Um, let me just throw, th throw this question out there. What, what, what have some folks found helpful for, for just sort of establishing the discipline of reading God's word? Just throw it out there. Maybe get a, get a comment or two. Wake up early? Yeah. So just setting your alarm and dragging your butt out of bed? <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the first time you read through the Bible, you did it with a friend. You used an app. It took about two years. But having that accountability was probably helpful, right? Chronological version, yeah. Yeah, the chronicle, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's, all, there's all sorts of Bible reading plans. The chronological one can be really helpful because then you're, you're going through it chronologically. Maybe Kevin and then... Yeah, be intentional, yeah. I heard a stat the other day that, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't know if, how these sociologists come up with this stuff, but apparently you have to do something 17 times, give or take, for it to become a habit. Um, what that means is habits, they, they, they can be hard to establish, but once they're established, you're going to carry on with it, right? Um, yeah, so there's the discipline of the Word of God, I would say again, remind your friend that the Bible was written under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, right? 
holding to the inspiration of the Word of God is, is fundamental. Otherwise, it, what unbelievers do is they reduce the, the Word of God, the living Word of God, to merely a collection of human writings, which it very clearly is not. It's appropriate to pray, that, to ask God by His Spirit that He would help you understand the text. Psalm 119, verse 8, 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. So once Bible reading is established then, we want to encourage study and meditation of God's word. Now as soon as I use that word, maybe some folks think that's, that's a bit of a spooky word. Meditation obviously can be used, um, it's, got, it's got different meanings. In the Eastern um, Eastern religions, the sense of meditation is an emptying of the mind, right? That's not what we're getting at at all. And any, any Christian teachers that are teaching that are wrong, and they're probably false teachers. Meditating on God's word means filling your mind with God's word. It's not an emptying of your mind, right? It's, it's, it's a filling of your mind with God's word and thinking upon God's word, uh, another excellent resource, uh, Don Whitney's book, Spiritual Disciplines, uh, is really really excellent book. Um, here's some steps that he offers, even to just try to encourage meditation. First, pick a specific passage from your reading that strikes you. This could be of any length, but probably a start with just a just a few verses, maybe even one verse, a couple verses. Um, read it and reread it several times. Also, uh, reading and understanding the context surrounding the passage. Rewrite it in your own words, perhaps. Writing things down will force you to think more carefully about what the text says. Pray through the text. Uh, read less, meditate more once it's sort of you're, it's understood and it's in your mind. And then look for and pray for applications. Those are just some tips from Don Whitney. Looking for a really good book on spiritual disciplines. That's an excellent one. Uh, there's a widely used method of, of Bible study called inductive Bible study. So it's basically digging into the text. Uh, you're looking at what the passage says, what it means, how it applies. This is an excellent way to study the Bible. David Helm's book, one-to-one -one Bible reading, is an excellent resource here. David Helm, one-to-one -one Bible reading. Um, as a discipler, we want to remember, too, that we don't want our brother or sister to get into the habit of misinterpreting Scripture. There's got to be sort of guardrails in place, too. It's very easy. We live in an age where, um, because of our individu individualistic sort of society, it's very popular just to sort of have the me, myself, and my Bible sort of paradigm, Right? I'm just going to go into the closet, right, and meditate on God's word. I'm going to, the Holy Spirit's going to lead me. I'm going to come to these amazing sort of understandings. And, but th those need to be checked to, to make sure you're not becoming a heretic. We want, to be, we, we want to be making use of church history and of what other um, theologians and, and pastors and so on have thought about those passages, uh, another resource, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. That is by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. 
Um, this book is sort of to give you some principles for how to do exegesis and hermeneutics. Exegesis and hermeneutics. The way that these guys describe those two things is exegesis is interpreting the, the text in its original context. Hermeneutics is seeking to apply the passage for the here and now. There's sort of more to those two things, but that's, that's sort of a, a basic helpful paradigm for exegesis and hermeneutics. Um, one good way to sort of dive into this could be even inviting your friend to a men's or women's Bible study, right? Um, where it's sort of being practiced here at church by an older, uh, mature Christian. Or if, if you're younger, invite them to the youth group where there's Bible study taking place there. Uh, you, can, you can spend time, obviously, in your discipleship going through Scripture together. Uh, as, as I said before, though, it's very important to heed the warnings against false, false teaching. Very important. Be humble enough to say, I don't know when you're not sure of something. I think that can be one of the big fears of sort of going through the Bible together. What happens if we come across something that I'm not, I don't know? You just need to, in humility, say, I don't know when you're not sure of something. As Christians, we're lifelong learners, right? We've been called to lifelong learning, and we can learn together in humility. You can make reference to a really good uh, commentary Ask someone else in the church that's older and wiser than you. Ask an elder. Um, I would say another thing, just very practical. Again, sometimes it goes unchallenged or unnoticed. Um, Just ask them if they're regularly reading the Word of God. Ask them what they've been learning in their personal Bible study. I used to be staff at a Bible camp where um, sadly the staff, some of them, even thinking of the main guy there, the director, uh, he, he would not believe that the Bible is the word of God, to put it bluntly. And I, I, I just wonder what type of screening process is in place at this Bible camp that a, a, a candidate to be the director, the head honcho of the camp, is not asked the question, what is the word of God? It's a tragic thing. So sometimes we just need to ask um, just basic questions and to challenge one another. What about scripture memory? We're just going to close real quick here with scripture memorization. We want to be challenging one another to memorize God's word. I think I came across, it was a statement by John Piper, I believe, and, and, and I think he said something like, uh, Bible memorization is a mark of sanctification in a believer. Bible memorization is a mark of sanctification in a believer. So we want to be encouraging um, Bible memorization. We want to challenge ourselves and our friends to memorize Bible verses and to think about their application. You might encourage them to memorize verses they meditated on during the Bible study. Think about memorizing some passages even as, you know, Pastor Clint is taking us through the Gospel of Mark. 
if a, if a, if a certain chunk of, of verses sticks out to you, think about memorizing that. I want to try something here now, just in our next few minutes. I, 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 I want us to think, maybe even off the top of our heads, what are some sort of basic gospel in a nutshell Bible verses or passages? And anyone can, any brave souls want to recite a passage or a verse? What do you think? What, what's a verse that comes to mind when you're trying to evangelize? Mark? Okay, you got that? Yeah. Good. So that was Romans 10, 9 to 10. Anyone else? Can you share it? Yeah, it's good. So that was John six thirty seven. Yeah. Anyone else? Rainy? Can you go? Yeah, amen. It's harder when people are listening, isn't it? <laughs> Any, anyone else want to try? You got it, Alan? Yeah. <laughs> for, the, for the law of the spirit of life has set us free. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I would say another really good one, Second Corinthians 5.21. You'll notice Pastor Clint, I've noticed over the years, that's sort of a go-to verse of his. I think it was John MacArthur who said that when he was asked in some type of Q&A, uh, what is the clearest gospel verse, succinct gospel verse in the Bible? I think he said, maybe it was R.C. Sproul who said it's Second Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, another passage, I'm, I'm just going to try a passage here that I've memorized, Isaiah 53. Um, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, 1-6. Um, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a, like a young root. Uh, for he grew up before him like a, like a young root out of dry ground. I think I'm messing that up. Um, you got it, Diana? What was that? I missed that. And like a shoot out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, we he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, 
smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. With his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Beautiful passage from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. That's a prophecy of the Christ some 700 years before his time on earth. So just to conclude, we talked today about uh, the importance of Bible study and scripture memorization. In our discipling, we want to hold fast to the word of God. It's the basis of all that we do. Our confidence needs to be in the word of God, the authority of the word of God. As our congregation confession of faith says, is the very first point of God's word. We believe that the Bible is the word of God, fully inspired and without error in the, in the original manuscripts, written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that it has supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. So we want to encourage our friends, brothers and sisters, to study the word, to rest in the word, to build upon the foundation of the word. It's the source for all of your wisdom and counsel. Um, I should probably close here because we're a little bit over time. Anyone got questions? Again, of course, feel free to come and ask me. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, uh, perhaps for many of us, this is just a good reminder. Perhaps for some, this is just a, maybe a first a confrontation with a realization of, of the power of God's word, of your very word. Father, we just praise you that we have your word even in our language. And God, I just pray that you would grow us, even here at Calvary Grace, as word people. Help our confidence uh, to be in your word. Prepare our hearts and our minds now even to hear uh, from you as you as you speak to us as your word is preached. Empower Pastor Clint by your spirit. Uh, build this church up. Help us as disciples, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. <laughs>